Well, they say the Sunday after Easter is one of the lowest attended services of the year. And the Easter crowd is no longer here. We're going to miss them. We won't see them till Christmas. But I think sometimes it's nice to be with the committed Christians. Um, you know, I, I used to listen to a musician called Keith Green back in the early 80s, and, and one of the lyrics of his song said, Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed. <laughs> we, need, we need to sing that song on Easter. But uh, today, if you're new with us, we go verse by verse through, through a book of the Bible. So we've actually been going through two books. We go every other week through the book of Romans and the book of John. And we happen to fall in John today on, on John chapter 4. And I've titled this based on Jesus' statement, Never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. If you remember in our study in John chapter 3, we met a man by the name of Nicodemus that Jesus talked to about salvation. Nicodemus was famous in Israel. He was a famous teacher. He was wealthy. He was ultra-religious. He had a lot of Bible knowledge. But Jesus told him that's useless for the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must be born from the Holy Spirit. God has to do a spiritual work in your heart. And now we come to chapter 4 and we meet somebody on the other spectrum. I mean, this lady, we don't even get her name. She's just the woman at the well. She's not famous. She's an outcast. She's, she's not wealthy. She's not religious. She's confused about religion. She has hardly any Bible knowledge. And she was living a sinful lifestyle. But Jesus came to give her salvation. So it doesn't matter what, what side uh, you're on. If you, you could be wealthy and religious and self-righteous. Jesus wants to change your heart. Or you could be very lost and rebellious. Jesus wants to save you. So let's just, what I want to do today, nothing fancy, no points. I just want to read this story and comment on it. And uh, we'll see what the Lord will do. And then we're going to share two baptisms with you this morning. So, so let's, let's start in verse 1 of John chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So the Pharisees were after Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And Jesus purposely would not stir them up at times. He was on a divine schedule. He knew the very day he would die. But, and then that's why the last week of his life, he did stir them up. Going into the temple, turned over all the money changers and everything, and they did plot to put him to death because Jesus was controlling the entire event. I do think it's interesting here, though, in, 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 in these uh, parentheses where it says, 
although Jesus himself did not baptize. You know, that's interesting. So Jesus never baptized only his disciples. I wonder why that was. Well, one reason could be is, you know, if Jesus baptized people, then everybody would be bragging, hey, Jesus baptized me. You got baptized by those other guys. They're not important. And I think it's also maybe Jesus is making a statement that it's not water baptism that saves you, right? Jesus baptized you with the Spirit. That's the warning for the cell phone. That's the warning for the cell phone. Um, Jesus baptized you with the Spirit. When we baptize um, Kelsey and Zane today, it's a picture. It's a spiritual picture. The water doesn't cleanse their sin. The pastor doesn't cleanse their sin. Okay, they, they've, already, they've already put their faith in Christ. So that's already happened in their heart. So this is just a symbolic act of obedience that God asks us to do. Um, let's read on. Verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Stop there for a second. He had to pass through Samaria the Jews of this day would not go near Samaria. They would totally go different routes because they hated the Samaritans. Okay? God was a lot different than the religious people. <laughs> and it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why, why would God have to do anything? Because he had a divine appointment with a lady that he was going to save who happened to live in Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, this is 12 noon, 12 noon in the middle of the day. And it says Jesus is weary. The Greek word is kopiao. It means he was extremely exhausted. John, all over the book of John, John's always trying to tell us that Jesus is God and that he, and he wants us to believe. But he doesn't hide the fact that Jesus was also human. So, and, and Hebrews says that he can relate to us. He was tested like we are, yet he was without sin. He understands our weaknesses. He went through problems in this life so he could sympathize with us. He's, a, he's an awesome Savior. But he just traveled 20 miles, and he's exhausted, but he wants to help this woman. Jacob's well, uh, the Bible, Bible language, a lot of times a well is spiritual nourishment so it's a physical well but it's symbolic of the spiritual nourishment god wants to give so let's read on verse 7 it says a woman from samaria came to draw water jesus said to her give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with 
Samaritans. Give you a little bit of biblical history here. In the Old Testament, we read how the nation of Israel ended up being divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that were ruled by kings. The northern kingdom had no good kings, no, no kings that loved God. And because of it, their, their sinfulness and their false gods, God allowed the Syrians to come in and conquer the northern kingdom. And when that happened, Syria took over that, living with the Jewish people there. The Syrian men intermarried with the Jewish women. And when they had children, they were known as the Samaritans. They were half-breeds, if you will. Now, now, because of that, the religious leaders hated the Samaritans. They felt they were dirty. They felt they had cooties. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't walk through their town. They had become very racist, if you will, toward the Samaritans. Now, God did, in the Old Testament, God told his people that he didn't want them to intermarry with other pagan nations. That wasn't about race, folks. That was because God didn't want those pagan nations to pollute their knowledge of the true God. And God knew if you intermarry with them, they're going to take you away from me. It wasn't about race. Hey, Mo the great prophet Moses had a wife from Ethiopia. Okay? She was a black woman, but she loved God. Okay? That's the deal. It was about the heart. So God, just, God was just trying to protect them from these pagan people. Well, because of all that, again, the religious leaders hated them, and they didn't have any dealings with the Samaritans. Now, this is sad, folks, because the Jews, the Jews were God's people on earth. God wanted the Jews to get his message to the entire world. The Jews wrote the Old Testament. The Jews wrote the New Testament, right? But here, here is Israel, whose, whose God's representatives of, of him, and they won't even talk to certain people. How sad, how sad this had become. And Jesus came to fix all that, all right? And I want to say to all of us in here, Christians, we need to be very, very careful. Because sometimes we look at our world and we see a lot of things being done in our world that aren't good. We see a lot of things being done in our country that's ruining our country. We see a lot of things in schools where children are being abused by a lot of nonsense going on. And what, but what can happen is we start hating those people. We don't want anything to do with those people. But God has called us to go into the world and save people. And sometimes what's going to change them from the way they think and the way they act is only going to be salvation. So we've got to be very careful that we don't become like the Jewish religious leaders did. Verse 10, let's read on. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is like, 
If you had any idea who I am, you're, you, you, you're, you have the God who created the universe is standing right in front of you. And if you had any idea, you'd be asking me for a drink. I'm asking for physical thirst, but I want to give you spiritual thirst. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, if you have nothing to draw water with, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And she's kind of being sarcastic here. She has no idea who Jesus is. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus created Jacob. Jesus wrestled with Jacob, if you know that story. Remember Jacob wrestles with God, right? Who do you think that was? That was Jesus. And he lost, by the way. Uh, he was doing good for a while, Scripture says, but then, you know, Jesus touched his hip and put it out of socket. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. I know, God will humble you. I walk with a limp now, too. And <laughs> you, you don't wrestle with God. Don't, don't think you can wrestle with God and win. You can't. We must submit to God. Watch what Jesus says. Uh, verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Spiritual language. That physical water in this well, okay? Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual water and you will never thirst again i'll give you eternal life folks as believers in christ we're going to a place one day when we will never thirst again and the idea is when we become christians yeah we still get thirsty in this life we still struggle in this life but there's fulfillment in our soul and we know where we're headed and so we don't just get this spiritual water at salvation the idea is we got to keep drinking from it you know what i'm saying that's why you're here in church today you're being you're being fed and having your thirst spiritual thirst quenched so it's so important and verse 15 she still doesn't get it the woman said to him sir give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She thinks it's something physical still. And I th still think she might have been being sarcastic. You know, I'm tired of coming here every day at 12 noon. So if you've got some kind of magic water, give it to me. Because I need it. And by the way, you want to know why she was coming at 12 noon? She was coming at 12 noon all by herself because the other women always came in the morning and, and at dusk in the cool of the days, right? Why was she coming at 12 noon? Because she was so tired of everybody looking at her and her sinful life. She was so tired of, every, of everybody talking behind her back. And she was empty and she was thirsty. Why, why is, what is it about us sinful 
human beings, and even sometimes as Christians, we try to satisfy our spiritual thirst from the things of this world. We drink from the wells of this world instead of coming to God and growing in God and getting Scripture into our mind and, and just cultivating a spiritual life that strengthens us on the inside. It's so sad. And people just put their trust in so much stuff that only leaves them thirsty, right? You know, I heard about a guy who, uh, I think I've told this story to you before, but I like it, is a, is a story about a guy that his whole fulfillment in life was playing the numbers. You know, numbers were going to be his ticket. And his number was five. That was his favorite number because he was, he was, he was uh, born in 1955 on May the 5th, right? And he had five children. He lived at 555 East 55 Street. And so he went to the track. He went to the horse track looking, I'm going to the track, and I'm going to look for my number five. If I find my number five, that's going to be my ticket. And sure enough, to his shock, he got there. Numeral Cinco means five, right? Numeral Cinco racing in the fifth race. So he said, that's it. And he, he went, he put $55,000 on numeral Cinco. And he should have known, Cinco finished fifth, okay? <laughs> right? And this... Okay, and there's so many things in life we think is going to be our big ticket. We think it's going to be our fulfillment. Relationships. We, I need a, it's a relationship. It's more money. It's this or that. And this life leaves us thirsty and empty. So Jesus is going to deal with that. Verse 16. This is interesting. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now this is so important. Jesus, man, Jesus is like putting her on the spot, right? Is, is he on her case? No, Jesus is dealing with her why she's so thirsty and why she's so void in here because she was looking for fulfillment in men. But men, ladies, men cannot satisfy the longing of your soul. Only Jesus Christ. Many men look for a woman. But women can't fulfill the longing of your soul. If, if you have a Christian husband or a Christian wife, that's a fringe benefit. But, but that will never fulfill the longings of your soul. But Jesus is honest with her. He tells her the truth. This is why you're empty. This is why you're thirsty. But in our world today, we have all these, you know, I, 
they're like seeker-friendly churches that won't tell you the truth. They water everything down. They don't want to talk about sin, don't want to talk about hell, because might, people might not come back. And this is sad. And that's a watered-down gospel, and many people don't hear the truth that they need to hear. And obviously, as Christians, as a pastor, I need to be gracious. I need to be merciful, okay? We, need, we don't need to be finger-pointing everything and criticizing all the time. That kind, of that kind of judgmentalism is wrong. Jesus preached against that. But we are to make good judgments, and we are, we are to preach the truth about what is right and wrong. And when we leave people in their, just say, Jesus loves you, and then you leave them in their sin, you don't help them. You don't help them. And that's not true salvation, right? So, we, you know, they brought the woman, they brought the woman, the prostitute, and the religious leaders wanted Jesus to stone her. And Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. And they all dropped their rocks. But then Jesus looked at that woman, and he loved her. And he said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. That's the gospel. God is saying to you, if you walked in here today, and you're not a Christian, you've never given your heart to Christ, you've never experienced that living water, you know, Jesus is saying, I don't condemn you for your sin. I want to come into your life. But then go and sin no more. He died for our sins to forgive us, but he also died to... God loves sinners. Let me tell you, God loves sinners. But he loves you too much to keep you that way, okay? So he wants to change you. And this is the truth of the gospel. So this woman was looking for, you know, fulfillment in men. And now she's living in an adulterous relationship. And the Samaritans had the Pentateuch, so they knew what God thought about adultery. And Jesus said, this is why you're thirsty. And so I I just want to say, you know, ladies, I want to say this to you. You know, especially if you're with with a man that's not a Christian, number one, eventually he's either going to get tired of you or he's going to get tired of himself. And when he's tired of himself, that's going to be high maintenance for you, okay? Because they're, they're, they're thirsty. Now, when you have two people committed to God and are Christians and you're both getting your thirst quenched from Jesus Christ and the Spirit, I mean, man, that can make you closer together, Right? But remember, that's a fringe benefit. Only Jesus can fulfill the longings of your soul. Let's read on. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think so? Like, how how would uh, he know all that? She said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What is he saying? He's saying worship is not a place. It's a person. It's a person. 
And so many people think worship is about some religious building or the religious stuff they do. No, worship is a person that you worship from your heart. Hey, God designed the church for it to be, you know, you know what would be a great name for a church? The well, the well. Because we come, we come to feed our spiritual thirst, to hear from the Bible, to spend time with other Christians. So the church, the church is so important for all of us. But we don't need to worship in a building. We can worship wherever we're at through, through Jesus Christ. Let's read on here. He says, he says, verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That's important. What does Jesus mean, salvation is from the Jews? Like I said earlier, God raised the Jewish people to, to, so that they would reveal who God is. And they wrote the Old Testament. They wrote the New Testament. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, came through Israel. Verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, you see, you see the triune God there? The Father's there, God the Son there, God the Spirit there. You see that a lot in John's Gospel. God the Son came and took on a human body to make God known. He died on the cross for our sins to give us access to the Father. And Jesus is saying, there's coming a day when you will worship the Father and you will worship the Son and the Holy Spirit will live in your heart and you will even praise His name as well as, as God brings you to Him. But there, listen, folks, there is no worship without the Spirit and without truth. So when there's religion and it doesn't have truth, it's not of God. When people say they're filled with the Spirit, but there's no truth, it's not from God. It's not from God. Have you ever talked to somebody, you know, that says, well, I don't go to church and I don't read the Bible I'm a spiritual person. Okay, what they mean is they're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay, that's what they mean. And the thing of it is, they have no truth. Unless you have, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. If you don't have the truth of Jesus Christ, it don't matter how religious you are or how spiritual you are. You don't have access to God. And this is just, the God's honest truth. And we as Christians have to go out and tell those people, okay? Um, and when someone, and I don't make fun of them when they say, hey, I'm spiritual. I just try to talk to them. I try to, like Jesus, I just try to get something in there so I can talk to her about Christ. And this is what we need to do as Christians. Verse 25. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ, which would mean, it means Savior. 
when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's like, when the Christ comes, he's going to fix everything. He's going to give us the way and the truth. (laughs) And what does Jesus say in verse 26? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. You're talking to him. And now a light went on in her mind. A light went on in her soul. She got it. And she believed. Because watch, watch 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the disciples, they're boneheads. They're thinking in their mind, why is he talking to a woman? You're not supposed to talk to a Samaritan woman, right? They don't know. Jesus can read their minds. You know, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And many of the people in her village came to Christ. They heard the teaching of God. And that's what it is. You hear the word of God, and it, it somehow a light comes on in your mind and in your heart, and you turn to Christ. And that's what she did. She was no longer ashamed. She didn't worry about what the people were thinking. She wanted to tell them about the Messiah that she met, who now she believes was her Savior, the Savior of the world, who can quench your thirst. Um, you know, Jeremy was talking about evangelism, and I forgot that I forced him to go to that evangelism class. I'm glad I did when I was his youth minister. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that because evangelism is, I mean, it's what we do. We you know, Jesus changed my life, so I tried to talk to people about it. Now, my old friends didn't want anything to do with me for a while, but now they're all starting to listen after their life's all a mess, you know? But, but uh, when I took the evangelism class for the first time back in the early 80s, and all evangelism class does is it teaches you certain scriptures to show people. It gives you questions to ask people to get them interested it kind of opens their mind. It gets them thinking about why they need a Savior, that they're a sinner that needs a Savior. And it's, it's important, and it gives you more confidence. Now, this woman, this woman didn't take evangelism training. She just went into town and said, hey, I met, I met the Savior of the world. Come and check him out. So sometimes that's what we just need to do. Hey, come to church. Come to church and check this place out, you know? That's, that's all we need to do. But if evangelism training can help. So anyway, I took evangelism class. And Jeff Moorhead, who taught the class, who's a guy that discipled me, he made us, now you got to go and practice. You need to find somebody in your family, or you need to find someone in a church that you can go on and practice your evangelism. So I went over to my mom and dad's house, and my Aunt Patty was there. She was down visiting. She lives in Michigan. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to do this on my Aunt Patty because my Aunt Patty wasn't a Christian, right? And so I tricked her, you know. Hey, uh, Aunt Patty, I- I've taken this evangelism class, and I, have to, I need somebody to practice with me. Would you practice? And she says, sure, Frankie. Sure, Frankie, I- I'll help you. 
And I went through my whole evangelism spiel, asked her the questions, gave her the Bible verses, explained how Jesus died for her sins and, and, and how he loved her and that he wanted to come into her life and change her life. And when I was done practicing on my Aunt Patty, tears were streaming down her face. She became a believer. That is the power of the gospel. And I don't know if God just showed me that firsthand. Let me tell you, you share this with others, it'll save their soul. They'll come to Christ. One final story, and we've got to baptize people. But So I went over and talked with Kelsey and Zane uh, this week about their baptism. And we like talking to people. Kelsey's been coming forever, so she knows her stuff. Zane knows his stuff too. He's such a smart kid. But I, you know, as a pastor, I just like to go over and ask, answer any questions they have, explain. I do like explaining. Now you understand the water doesn't save you. The water's not magic. The pastor's not magic. Okay. The water is just symbolic of what's already happened in their heart, right? And so I talked to him about it. And man, Zane, Zane was so excited. So excited talking about God. So excited that he was getting baptized. So Zane's excited. He went and he got a Bible and he gave me a Bible. Um, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be giving him a Bible. But he gave me this cool looking Bible and it's the ESV. It's the translation I use. It's cool colors too. I told him, I told him when I see that Bible, I'll say a prayer for you, buddy. Say a prayer for you. So he gave me a Bible and then you know what he did? He started going to the condo. He starts knocking on doors, telling people that he's being baptized, inviting people to church. I think there's a couple people here all because of that today. And it was just so, so awesome seeing his excitement. I wish everybody would get excited like Zane did. You know, may, may God wake us up. May he give us more excitement for our relationship in Jesus Christ and all, all that he's done for us. And going to continue to do for us in the days to come. Pray with me. And we'll sing a song and we'll close the service up with some baptisms. So, you know, in the quietness of this moment, you know, I don't know who stumbled in here today. You might have stumbled in here. Maybe you're thirsty. Maybe you can relate to the story. Maybe you can relate to this woman. Maybe you've tried to drink from the wells of this world and it's never, never given you satisfaction. It's never given you fulfillment. And I'm telling you, in this moment, in this moment, all you have to do is call out. Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's Jesus Christ. You call on him and you say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm empty. Lord, save me from my sins. I want to follow you. I want to I follow you the rest of my life. I want to have that my spiritual thirst quench, and I want to be with you for all of eternity. And if you pray that sincerely, Jesus will answer, and he'll transform your life. And you can continue to drink from that well and grow and be nourished and your thirst will be quenched. Christians, if you've gone astray, I had a young girl 
came out of the first service and said, I so needed to hear that. I so needed to hear that. I'm trying to fulfill my thirst. And she says, I'm back. I'm back. God bless her. Father, thank you for today. Uh, God, thank you for the baptisms that we're going to have. Um, we thank you for that. Thank you that you change lives, Lord. Thank you for this powerful story of this Samaritan woman. A woman that was an outcast that nobody cared about. But God, you're a merciful, gracious Savior. You loved her. Now she's going to be in heaven, Lord, with you for all of eternity. And one day we'll find out her name. Until then, God, help us to be like her. Help us to believe in you, Lord, and help us to tell our friends and our neighbors about the living water. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand, let's sing, and then we'll share in the baptisms.